Yes. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you can, you can shout amen. It's like, yeah. I'm hoping for one heckler. Just no, one no, that I have no. to deal with. No hecklers. All right. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah. you ready? Let's get this thing started. Yeah, I think I'm ready. All right, count us down, Hanenberg. We are already recording. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh, great. Graham, you're introducing? Yeah. Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast on the classical world, classical education, run by three guys who work at a classical school, Veritas Academy, in sunny, sunny Austin, Texas. Very, sunny. Very, very sunny. Yep. And this, guys, this is our 52nd podcast. This it's, is our one-year anniversary podcast. Yep. It's a year, and I got you both something. Oh, seriously? You no, that's Aww. not true. You can yeah. have my old Yeti if you want. No, that's gross. Yeti, that's you also gross. changed my photo on the website, which I'm not too happy about. Yep. What's the photo now? It's just, you'll have to look at it okay, at your, well, on your own time. I'll do it right now. And as an added treat for you listeners out there in listener land, we are here today with a live studio audience. You got, this is where you're here. <laughs> <laughs> that moment yeah, of silence makes it sound like we're pretending that there's an audience in here. Uh, he said it, and then they're, they're just yeah, all thinking, nothing. indeed. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we did literally just tell them not to make any noise, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> in, yeah, and then prompted them to cheer for us. Sorry. And today, yeah. as we've uh, made reference to in the last podcast, we are talking about Boethius, um, a man, a scholar, a philosopher, and also a public servant of his time. And AJ, you're going to be taking the helm on this one. What do we need to know? All right, so I, I figured I would start with just a little bit about Boethius, the man himself. And the first most important thing you have to know about him is his name, which is Anesius Manlius oh. Severinus Boethius. Dang. No, oh, we share a middle name. <laughs> Manlius. Manlius, yeah. yeah. It's, Not it's one Severus of the coolest names I've ever heard. Severus. He was born in 480. He was a member of uh, an aristocratic family, but he, his dad died when he was young, so he was actually raised by a different aristocratic family. Uh, rose to prominence in Rome, kind of after, you know, as Rome is in decline. And he was kind of a philosophy nerd, right? He studied all the time. He grew up reading books, ma mainly under the tutelage of the, the guy that he was raised by. And as a side note, he eventually married that guy's daughter. Yep. So he loved this family. That's how it works. Yep, it happens sometimes. I guess. Yep. Okay. And, and so he, he grew up loving philosophy, learning about philosophy, wanting to translate. His life mission was to translate Plato and Aristotle into, uh, you know, digestible forms for everyone. And that, that was kind of what he went after. And he only entered public life because Plato's ideal of a state run by philosophers, he felt the duty as a philosopher to become participant in the state. And so he served under a guy named Theodoric the Ostrogoth, which is another one of the coolest names I've ever heard. There's just a Don't bunch of Don't get that guy here. mad, I think. So this is at the point in Rome where Theodoric is pretty much an autonomous king. He, the Theodoric. Theodoric? Is that what you said his name is? Theodoric. Theodoric. There's that an I in there. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Theodoric the Ostrogoth. You don't make that joke around Theodoric. Well, <laughs> he's not here. <laughs> he he was an autonomous king in uh, in the east, and then he sort of interacted with the emperor in the west, but the emperor was sort of a figurehead. Theodoric had all the power. And so... So what city are we talking? Like, where is he living? Is uh, he in Rome? Is he in Constantinople? Is he in... Constantinople is where I think place? the emperor is. I, I think he is in Italy somewhere. Okay. So... I'm a little unclear on that, but he, he served him and just rose through the ranks successively. And at some point, something went wrong. Yeah. Um, and he was accused of stopping a messenger from delivering papers that would show the Senate was guilty of treason. They wanted to take out Theodoric the, the, the king. And so he stopped that messenger to protect the Senate. 
and then got found out. The Senate turned on him. Even the Senate served him up while he was trying to protect the Senate, and he got condemned to death. And so he wrote this book, The Consolation of Philosophy, while in prison by himself. Now, these are pretty lame charges, right? Like, this is not death-worthy. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of treasonous, right? <coughs> yeah, but worst of all, he didn't stand for trial. Right. He was condemned in absentia and then just condemned to death, mm. right? He could not really give defense. He couldn't stand and speak on his own behalf. Nothing, nothing like that. He was just condemned. And he was partially delivered up by some fellows that hated him because right. he consistently and routinely stopped people from doing the evil they wanted to do, like take advantage of the resources of a town, uh, you know, incite rebellion. He was always the guy that stood in the way of the rapacious, you know, inclinations of senators and stuff. And so he had a lot of enemies because he was a good dude and they all sort of banded together to get him condemned. But he was a good guy. Yeah, yeah he was a super good guy. And he, as he wrote this in prison, the depth of his knowledge becomes obvious because of his references to Plato, to Aristotle, to other philosophers. He just does it off the top of his head. He doesn't even need the text there with him. So surely as a good guy, like the cream roasts the top and <laughs> during his trial, he got off and lived a happy life uh -huh. in, in uh, old age and seclusion yep. and the bad guys don't win? Uh, yeah, nope. I mean, nearly. You almost got it right. It was really <laughs> Except close. for the exact opposite Except of all Except he was yeah. brutally tortured and yep. then beaten to death. Mm. So he died. Mm. Yep. Um, which makes this book all the more compelling, right? So here's a quick summary of the book, just, and then you guys can jump in and bring up the things you want to. So he starts in a pretty bad way. He's just been condemned to death. He's alone in prison. He's feeling like everything's going wrong. And so as he mourns, the sirens of poetry come and minister to him. And then been there. wisdom, <laughs> philosophy comes what? down. And uh, so philosophy comes down and she says pretty much like, you muses of poetry are not helping anything. Like, you all get out of here, you're making it worse. So she tosses them out of the room, and as she accuses them of making it worse, they're all like, yeah, you right. And then they walk off and they know they're not helping anything. Uh, and then comes, like, book one is a discussion on the whims of fortune and how, like, you were in a good place and now you're in a bad place, but what did you expect? That's how fortune goes. And she gave you everything, she has the right to take it away. So it's a discussion of fortune and then, uh, book two is, I think, oh man, I'm mixing these up. Book so, one is like an intro to like what's happening. So all the stuff AJ just went through of right. like why he's in prison is there. Book two goes into fortune and we can talk about the themes there more if you want to. And then book three is what is the nature of goodness? Like what, what are men truly seeking? Yeah. Book four is essentially the problem of evil. Yes. How can good, like bad things yet happen if God who is good rules the universe and then the final book is about um, fate and uh, like whether and chance exists. Yeah, yeah, whether chance exists. So is this thing that's happening to me something that God is in control of or is this just a chance fluke that I'm suffering? And so it goes from let's pull you out of the dumps. Let's talk about what is really good. Let's deal with the evil men that you've been accused by. And then let's move to is this God's fault or is this an accident? And so philosophy comes and sort of starts with easy medicine saying like, you're still blessed, suck it up, you dork. And then let's talk about what good is, what evil is, and then how God has meant this world to be. And you can rest in the knowledge that nothing happens by accident. God is in charge. Evil men are pitiable. You are still good. And the good is worth pursuing, which brings him out of his doldrums and then makes him ready for death, which is such a cool message. Now, we've talked about, on the podcast before, we've talked about that poetry, um, 
uh, aspect before where it's not helpful to wallow in sweet sounding. It's like if you're sad, sad music's not going to help you. Yeah, breakup songs don't help a breakup. Yeah, like, yeah. it's not. It's making it more sad. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, although we Sadder. have had some people email us and tell us that that uh, they that we are hard on the poets. Yeah. Why, why do we hate poetry? Was in fact the. Uh, the, the, the subject it's not an unfair question uh, so so Bowie this is in chapter one this is what AJ just said so these muses are around him and they're making him they're continuing him feeling worse but y'all how many poems are in this book what give me an estimate yeah exactly well the every so the book is structured where at the end of every chapter in each book there's a poem so there philosophy are fi- writes yeah so there are five there are five books in Boethius and then each uh, book has somewhere between eight and 12 sections in there. So you're looking somewhere 30, 40 poems in this book that condemns poetry at the outset. So like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So it must not be, I don't think he's condemning I, poetry, but like, condemning like sentimentality. Right, exactly. Yeah. So there's a value to poetry, but um, it's that the poet, the muses that meet Boethius in the beginning are not tied to truth. They are only the emotion. And so they keep him in sadness while philosophy has to come and give him truth that he can't accept. Is that fair? So, like, there is a value to the poetry that is offered, but it must be beauty and truth that are tied together. Yes, I think that's fair. Um, so, read okay. poems. So, the oh. book is so in the book, it's philosophy is a person, yeah. and the muses are oh, yeah. people. Yeah, but those are symbols. So, are we assuming that Boethius is in jail and he's feeling sorry for himself and like singing sad songs to try to make him feel better? I don't know. Like, what's like what is the the, the he does the analogy. He does literally talk with philosophy in this book. So, like, isn't it? Like you're just making well, the point that it's metaphor. Yeah. So like he's what, not actually. What actually is happening in the jail? Is he? He's going insane he and snaps? he sees philosophy. <laughs> and, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, he's he's making use of the philosophy that he studied all his life. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, he's probably having the same reaction any of us would, which is, I'm in jail. This is the worst. I hate my life, and I want to murder everyone. Uh, and then he slowly kind of comes out of that and says, "Get a get a hold of yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know this." Like, use the philosophy you've learned and, like, pull yourself out of it. Get a grip. Use the philosophy. Yeah, get a grip, man. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I think that's what's going okay. on. Okay, all right, so, book book one, book two, those things kind of go together. Yeah, um, you want to, so... Well, what makes... Graham, you... Why re- doesn't power, money, fame... What are the five? Was it power, money, fame, and something else make us happy? I believe pleasure, those are pleasure, wealth, honor, power, fame, bodily pleasure, I think. In book three, pros one yeah. through... Oh, okay, great. Oh, is that... No, it's in book... Book three? Yeah, that's book three. Oh, whoops. Yeah. That's book three. Book two, book two is, is the whims of fortune. I'll sit yeah. here quietly. No, no, actually, you should talk more because, Graham, you've referenced more often than others the concept of the Wheel of Fortune. Um, uh, we are transitioning to a game show podcast, I believe. Was our, no. <laughs> Wheel yeah. of... Keep going. No, it's okay, not funny. Great. Um, do you want to... So, I think book two goes into this the most. Do you want to kind of start a talk on what he's getting at with fortune and why that idea might be helpful for us? Yeah, so the medieval concept of fortune... We've talked about this a couple times, but just as a, as a recap, this idea that um, um, sort of good things in life are meted out at, well, I was going to say a random, a random distribution, but that gets talked about at the end of the book. But yep. as far as human beings are concerned and as far as we perceive it, it seems like um, good things and bad things get, get doled out randomly. Um, that fortune is a demiurge. It's actually a, a spiritual being created by God whose job it is is to like stick her arm in the water and stir it around every now and again to keep the water from getting stale. So um, people will rise and families will rise and families will fall. Uh, fortunes will be made and fortunes will be lost. And these things are meted out through fate or through fortunes um, 
judgment. And we as human beings um, don't need to, or we can't predict any of that. Right. And we shouldn't be super happy when we get stuff because oftentimes we got it just because of our good luck or our good fortune. And we should not be super bummed when we lose our th lose things because that's just the way that the wheel turns and our time in the sun is done. Now, as the book goes on, philosophy proves to Boethius that the turns of fortune have no bearing on the happiness of people because the truly happy are, are the ones who, well, I mean, we'll get to what, of, yeah, regardless yeah. of your, um, of whatever fortune or fate does to you, you can be truly happy without fate's blessings or without fate's curses, which I, I don't know. But this is crazy, right? Like, do you, you agree with that? That no matter what, you don't, you don't agree with that? I mean, I want to, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, when I'm super holy, I'm going to agree that regardless of situation, I'm going to be like, you know what I mean? And so part of it, whatever. She, there, she, there, there's, sorry, a there's a level to this that is not probably useful to talk about, talk about, but like Boethius is the author of this work, but he's also a character in this work. Mm -hmm. And I don't think those two people are the same. Like, I think Boethius, the character is philosophy. Ultimately, like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He, he must believe these things to write this book. So like, I think he's, he had to convince himself that, yeah, actually I can be happy even in jail. But like, I don't think studio audience, like, does it like, doesn't that sound crazy? Or is that like your, yeah. Is that your initial reaction to be like, yeah, in prison, I'm going to be really happy. And I'm going to think about philosophy all the time. Right. Well, you can't bring them in. Don't, don't. Sorry. They're friend. not here. Yeah. The laughter is. Ad populum. Yeah. Audience. yeah. <laughs> and it works. Appeal to the people. Yeah. So I, he, Boethius makes a couple of points here. So first he says, you are blessed even even in jail, right? Yeah. Your sons are consuls. You have a wife that loves you. You have a good family. You lived a good life. You were incredibly blessed before now. You still have blessings. Yep. You have like all of these accolades at your back. So you are blessed. He also points out that even men that have incredible fortune are unhappy. Yeah. And I think any teachers mm -hmm. in this room can attest to, we've given everything to the students and they're still going to find something to complain about. Yeah. Parents can attest to the same. Uh, I think the suicides of... Famous people also attest sure. to the same. Like they have everything. They have got fame. They've got fortune. They've got accolades, and they are still unhappy. And so, fortune itself cannot bring you happiness. So the happiness must come from some other place. Uh, so you are blessed, first of all. Second of all, fortune can't bring you happiness. Um, third, yeah, everybody's going to complain all the time. So yep. you've got to find your okayness someplace else. Hey, do you have the quote in front of you? You've referenced it, and I think it's in your commonplace book about how, like, regardless of station in life, there's still something to be unhappy about. Uh, I can go. I know there's yeah, one in this book. I can I just, look for it. I think it's really powerful, to, and it just goes through like when you're not married, you wish you had a wife, and then you get married, and you wish you had kids, and then you have kids, and you wish they acted better. And like, no matter where you are, there's always a, a problem with that station yeah, in I, life. I have it here. I think yeah, this is when it. you're talking. Oh, here you go. About. I, I, oh, you got it. Let's all read it. Okay. One, two. No, just kidding. Go ahead, AJ. <laughs> um, let's see. It is the nature of human affairs to be fraught with anxiety. They never prosper perfectly and they never remain constant. In one man's case, you will find riches offset by the shame of a humble birth, and in another's noble birth offset by unwelcome publicity on account of the crippling poverty of his family fortunes. Some men are blessed with both wealth and noble birth, but are unhappy because they have no wife. Some are happily married, but without children, and husband their money for an heir of alien blood. Some again have been blessed with children only to weep over their misdeeds. No one finds it easy to accept the lot of fortune has sent him. There is something in the case of each of us that escapes the notice of the man who has not experienced it, but causes horror to the man who has. So that's not great. No. Yeah, so the yeah. point is, is that human, so um, even if fortune gave you everything, there's still something you... 
there can still be dissatisfaction in the heart of the person that has it all. So, and usually there is dissatisfaction. And, yeah. and it also yeah. brings fear that you will lose it, right? right. When you have mm-hmm. the accolades of fortune, there is the constant fear of losing everything. And mm-hmm. he, comes, he points that out later again with wealth. Like, wealth brings care. And the yep. more wealth, the more care. Well, I mean, Puff Daddy and Mace were right when they said more, more money, money, more, more problems. problems. That's right. <laughs> the more, more money we come now. across, the more problems we see. Yeah, I mean, so Boethius of our time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sad right now. Um, okay, so yeah, so y'all are summarizing. So book one is about how things are really bad. Book two moves into there's this thing called fortune, and there's just this random stuff we get. Like we don't deserve a lot of the good stuff in our life, and we don't deserve a lot of the bad stuff in our life. And so to get worked up over those things is probably kind of a dumb philosophy. Like you, the things you don't deserve that just happen to you, just kind of roll with it. Yeah, and eventually you're gonna die, and right. if the soul lives on forever, well, you're losing your fortunes then. Anyway. So mm-hmm. your happiness has to be based in something else. Um, and if fortune leaves you, you were gonna leave fortune at death anyway. Right. So. It was going to, you know, you're going to break one up way one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and unless there's anything else there, do we want to move into book three? Yes, please. Because y'all are talking. So book three is about there are all these different ways um, that people try and pursue. Well, first off, there's a thing everyone wants. And he, he says happiness is that thing. Everyone wants happiness. It's because he's a good Aristotelian. He is a good Aristotelian. I love this book a lot. Um, but there, there are all these different ways that we try and go after that happiness. Um, we've referenced them before. Do y'all want to say anything there? The different ways that people go well, after. Well, you listed them, right? There's wealth. There's fame. There's bodily pleasure. Yeah. Well, let's I'm go through the reasons why they're not ultimately satisfying. You, you touched on wealth. Wealth oh. can be lost, or when you have lots of wealth, you are paranoid that you're going to lose it. Yep. And you only get the good things that wealth brings by spending the wealth, mm-hmm. right? Wealth is only valuable when you're giving it away. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if it's based in like the beauty of your clothing or the stones yep. that you're wearing, it is those things that people see. I, I will see Thomas dressed in nice clothes and say, those are some really nice clothes, yeah. and none of that is conferred to Thomas and That's right. Come on. If you see Just Thomas driving in a nice car, I don't say, the Man, person Thomas in that so car cool. must be good. Yeah, I say, that. I want your car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, second one is fame, and fame is ultimately not going to bring happiness because everyone's going to scream at you on Twitter. Is that yeah, what he says? Uh, it's partially because this world is small compared to the grand That's scheme right. of things. And even if you've got fame here, it won't transfer to another nation. And eventually you're going to die. And mm-hmm. then give it a few years and no one will remember yeah, you. If you're the most famous uh, consul in Rome and you go to uh, uh, you know Mongolia, they're going to be like, I don't know who you are. <laughs> he, also, he does have this cool part in here about how um, we try and give, you know, some people get fame, but not everyone does. But... In fact, we all share um, noble origins. He doesn't use the term um, Imago Dei, image of God, but it'd be cool if he did. But like to say that there is a nobility just in humanity in and of itself. So in the poem for section six, thus all men come from noble origin. Why then boast of your ancestors? If you consider your beginning and God your maker, no one is base unless he deserts his birthright and makes himself a slave device. Just like, oh yeah, go Um, Okay, so that's fame and then power, so kings. Uh, kings, uh, ultimately that power is not as satisfying or makes you happy, does not make you happy because you're always looking at your back. Yep. And, and the, uh, the people who conferred power upon you can take it away. That's take right. Away. What's the sword of, um... Damocles? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a story. Do you guys know that story? Sword of Damocles? There's this dude. I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of these, a lot of like left to right shaking heads. You want to go for it? Give it up, beast. So... Yeah, you got it. So there's this dude who's a king, and he wants to explain to a guy what it feels like to be king. And so he has that guy sit 
on, on a throne, throne, and then they hang a sword above his head, and it's connected to the ceiling by a, a piece of horse hair, like a tiny, tiny, yeah, a thread. little, little thread. And so he has to sit there and like n- knowing the sword is directly above him, and that's the the pressure it is to be king to know that things can go very badly very quickly. Mm-hmm. The other reason public office and power wasn't good is because it it doesn't. It doesn't confer virtue to the person who right. holds the office. Like, if you're a bad dude, the only thing public office is going to do for you is highlight your bad dude. Emphasize your bad. Yeah, it's going to show that you're the worst. Yeah. And so, Boethius like hates Nero, so Nero gets brought up a lot. So, mm-hmm. so Nero had power, he had office, but he was still a super bad dude. So, think, yep. Okay, and then the fourth one is bodily pleasure. Yep. And bodily pleasure does not ultimately bring satisfaction because, according to Boethius, and I agree, is that it leads you down into being an animal. Yep. I was going to also say, I thought you were going to say, in my opinion, people die, but there's that too. Like, yeah. <laughs> so there's an end to a bodily pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That um, it can't be the ultimate source of happiness because bodies are, if, if happiness is a divine and eternal thing, which he's going to talk about in book four, yep. um, then bodily pleasure can't bring that because bodies corrupt and fade and um and and sort of the physical the physical vices eventually lead the person into a more degraded place as opposed to a more satisfied place um is there any 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 more in that section i can't remember nope wealth honor power fame bodily pleasure and then he moves in and says okay so all these things are um insufficient goods so there's that there's a thing he opens with in book three which i think is really interesting that he Boethius argues that um, happiness is kind of actually one thing, but we split it up into lots of little things. And so, um, whereas what we want is happiness, we instead break that into, well, it'd kind of be nice to have money and power and fame and all those things. And then goes into, when you break it into those small parts, they don't satisfy in and of themselves. So then he moves into this part of, okay, so then if these uh, human things are not sufficient, then it must be a divine thing that is sufficient. That's what he moves into at the end of book three. Yeah, he and it, he kind of makes the point after this that like we we try to get happiness through all of these side avenues, yeah. but the only way we can have happiness is if we have all of them at once. Yep. Right. If we have power and some pleasure and a little bit of wealth and like the things we need, if we only have it all, if we have all of them at once, and the way to get all of them at once, and there's some, uh, I think it's some some little goofy arguing here. He argues that. The goodness is God and God is unity. Oh, come on, it's so good. And everything seeks unity because if you're taken apart, you die. Yeah, that's You true. follow me? Like you guys have bodies and if you take an arm off, you're probably going to die. So everything wants unity. Therefore, everything wants God. Yeah, I skipped that part. Because God oh, is unity. On. So there's, it seems like there's some equivocation and some funny argument here, but basically the place where he ends, and I'm, I'm trying to speed through this a little bit because I really want to get to book five oh, really? before we end. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, I totally wow. dig book five. I okay. think it's so, so cool. Fine. So, so do you just want it? Well, I'm just trying to give yeah. like his basic definition of happiness is yeah. men seek, because we naturally seek to stay alive, we seek unity. Unity is God and the divine. With that comes everything else that is included. So if you seek God and participate in the divine, you get all of these other things. You get power, you get wealth, you get everything that can satisfy you. And all of those things kind of come as a group package rather than seeking each one individually. Yeah. Is that a fair sort of summary of what he's saying? I think so. And then this is also the point in the book where it sounds most like Plato because it's got philosophy making these statements and then Boethius saying, why yes, how could it be otherwise? But it's the funny Indeed, it cannot be argued with. Because like, again, Boethius is writing the book and then he's like putting the words like, why yes, that's the smartest thing I've ever heard before. It's very very funny. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so so his conclusion is that happiness is 
basically holiness, or he, I think he calls it as divinity. Yeah, I'll, that, I'll just read a few quotes that kind of get to it. So, men become happy by acquiring divinity. He then later says that the essence of God is to be found in the good. So, then that's what's tying this virtue to happiness. Um, the good is um, the end toward which all things tend. So, we're all working toward goodness. And then he wraps up book three with this thing about people uh, go for evil, which is a bummer. But um, God cannot do evil, but God can do anything, everything. Therefore, evil is nothing. That's kind of his logic at the end of the book. Which is one of the examples, I think, of equivocation. This is so good. Right? It's, but there is nothing that an omnipotent power could not do. No. Then God can do evil? Then conduct, can God do evil? No. So that evil is, is nothing, nothing, right? Yeah. Since God can do everything and God can't do evil, evil must be nothing because there's nothing God can't do. But if you slightly switch the words he's using, right? If God can do anything and evil is something, then God can do evil, right? So you can easily reconstruct a counter argument there. And I, I see where he's going, but it's just one example of kind of his like goofy argumentation. But then the next section is yeah. where he kind of ends up and it's a great summary. Well, just before um, you, you move away from that, I mean, if that isn't, um, if the, the nothingness or the lack of substance of evil is something that, listener, you find interesting, a more robust defense of that is found in Augustine's City of God. Yeah. So if you really want to go sure. into that, yes, I agree that in, in Boethius, he kind of blows through it. Right. And Boethius is like, well, yes, how could it be argued otherwise? Um, but if you do want a more <laughs> in-depth defense or more in-depth um, work through of that idea of like what actually is the nature of evil, uh, Augustine uh, uh, talks about it a lot in City of God, or Augustine, sorry, Thomas. Uh, thank you, I appreciate it. So here's kind of the end of book summary for book three. Um, just now you began with happiness and said it was the highest good, and you said it was to be found in God. Then you began arguing that God himself was also the supreme good and perfect happiness, and added as a kind of bonus that no one could be happy unless he was also divine. You said that the very form of the good was identical with the substance of God and of happiness, and you taught us that unity itself was the same as the good, because all things had a natural inclination to it. Then you argued that God rules the universe by the helm of goodness, that all things obey willingly, and that evil is nothing all of which you unfolded without the help of any external aid, but with one internal proof grafted upon another so that each drew its credibility from that which proceeded. And this kind of argument is what laid a little bit, I mean, I think it came from some dudes before him, but it was sustained the notion that everything in the world seeks God. Like even the spheres move in a, as they move so that they can return to the unity and goodness of God, mm -hmm. right? Everything seeks unity, therefore everything seeks God. The telos of everything is moving towards God in some way. I don't really know how that works. And because if you think about like the telos of a tool, like a hammer, which is an the example we use, the, yeah. the purpose of that tool is to hammer things. Yep. Uh, I don't really know how that fits into that, the hammer. I mean, I guess it's if the person using the hammer is building the house and the house is a good and uh, maybe, maybe you follow that chain upwards. I think that's also why he has to say that the essence of divinity is goodness. Like, I don't know. The virtuous use of things, therefore, is a part of divinity. Hmm. All right, so I'm going to move us along. We're, we're, you know, running a little short on time. So I'm going to kind of blow through book four, if that's okay, and then we'll hit book five. Yes, fine. Yeah, sure, five. Good. Okay, so book four. What do you like about book five? Oh, it's so much. But like, book, well, we're going to anyway. get there in a second. You like to grump on the things I love. Uh, so I feel like we were predestined <laughs> to move to book five. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So book four is basically an argument about how 
evil men are to be pitied. They're not winning, right? If they if they are trying to seek happiness in the wrong things, then they lack the power to achieve true happiness. They're spinning their wheels, getting things that are terrible. If they avoid punishment, that's awful because it doesn't correct them onto the path of virtue. So even if they get away with something, that hurts them more. Yeah. So essentially, evil men are to be pitied because of all men, they are seeking for happiness in the wrong places. They do not have the power to see the good. They cannot find the good. Even if they get away with it, they're even to be pitied more. You never get away with it. It's basically Boethius' yeah. phrase, is that if they get away with the evil that they do, the evil that they do essentially corrodes and breaks them down internally, and they become wretched and vile. And if they don't get away with what they do, they're getting correction, and that correction is a good because it's bringing them back to actual true happiness, which right. is found in virtue. Yeah. Um, and so he, and that he, that's the conclusion of the argument, but he lays out that argument kind of step by step in that Socratic, Platonic, back and forth style. Yeah. I really like that section. It's, it's, it's really good. good. And I yeah. find interesting that he, he takes an attitude some other folks have taken in that criminals are not to be treated with hatred or cruelty, but to be pitied and then drawn back to the good, mm-hmm. right? Seen as someone who is ill rather than someone who is... A monster. A monster. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. They're mistaken more than anything else. Mm-hmm. All right. So book five. Uh, he he lays out <clears throat> providence versus fate. So how, how would you guys say, oh what, what would you say the difference is? Did you guys gra- get this? So, Did you grok it? Uh, if I, I tried reading, I was looking at this again last night because I know you wanted to talk about book five. <laughs> um, I'm just so here for the ride. See if it, I that can, sounded so insulting the way you said it. I'd, let's see if I, can, <laughs> if I can put this together. Providence and, uh, I mean, fate is subservient to providence. So providence is over fate. Yes. Um... Providence deals with the overarching big final story of God's will. And fate is the small interactions that happen on earth that are moving God's will to fruition. Yeah. The easy way to think about it is if providence is the blueprints, fate is the actual building of the house. Yeah. Right? That's the easy way to think of it. Providence is God's overarching plan set in his mind from eternity past to eternity future and fate is the day-to-day working out of that plan in minutia and it sounded like he would say that there is no room for randomness that random things don't happen is that fair there is a cause of everything and that causes god so in that sense there is no such thing as chance but in the sense of we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, there's chance all over the place. So we call things chance because we don't know the cause, is right. his argument. Like, if you dig in your yard and then you're like, whoa, a box of gold coins. What a lucky chance. Like, it's not really chance. Somebody buried that there for a reason, and then you were digging because you wanted to find, you know, your sewer line or whatever. So there were reasons for both of those things, and it was just a coincidence that those that happened to bring you to a box of gold coins on the day when you needed to buy a present for your wife because it was your anniversary and you forgot. But, so but I can, that's I can, what, that, what's what makes up chance is actual cause that we don't fully understand. But aren't there things that we do that actually have no bearing on God's providence? Like if I roll, if I sat here for this whole podcast and I rolled a dice, like the the outcome of that, those dice rolls are going to be chance. Um, and Oh, there's a cause for those dice rolls. The weight of the dice, the way that you threw them. Right. The so, original making of the dice. Like there is a reason and, there. And, and if they we are knew created all the- to be like random chance. I think I think what kind we're of. getting into is an argument about the definition of chance, which he says that there is book 5. Yeah, yeah, but but we would say yes, yeah. chance can have a cause. And so I think maybe all of us would agree that chance exists. It's just what we call it when causes come into into fruition to bring a weird circumstance to bear, right? 
or a weird coincidence to bear. I think Boethius would probably agree with you, but he's arguing that nothing happens completely by chance. There are always causes. But this isn't the interesting thing. I just don't like so, the idea that God wanted my sister to beat me in Monopoly. That's all I want. Yeah, I'm trying it was, to say. It was Grim, ordained. There was that, a yeah. cause for that. <laughs> yeah, and him being you're bad. bad at Monopoly, oh. and she is good at Monopoly. <laughs> all right, so the, the interesting part that I wanted to get to is he, he goes then into a question of free will. How can there be human freedom if there is no chance, right? He talks about chance first, and then he says, well, then how are we free if God has predestined everything? Uh, so the first thing we have to understand before we sort of understand his definition is that there is a difference between eternal time and infinite eternal life. So life for God, eternity for God is the fruition of all moments at once. Yeah. With, filled with life and knowledge. So while we exi exist in moments uh, in a series, so we, even, even in the eternity of time, whatever moment we are living in, we have lost the past and we have yet to gain the future. So think of what we have as perpetual time, not infinite time. What God has is infinite time. He exists in every moment simultaneously and sees all of, the, all of those moments and fills them with knowledge and love and life. Right, so Sounds eternity exhausting. for God is completely filled with time and life and knowledge. He sees everything as it is happening, whereas we see it as perpetual time, which isn't nearly as good. So that is a more fun way to think mm -hmm. about the way that God exists with it. And so then he says, okay, Graham, you are sitting there, right? I yes. Hope, yes. The he fact is. that I am seeing you makes mm -hmm. it logically necessary that that's what you're doing, mm -hmm. right? So, but do I have any effect on what you're doing? Am I forcing you to sit there? <laughs> I mean, kind of like, no, yeah. you're not. No, I'm not. You could get up and throw things around the room. And as I mm -hmm. watched you, mm -hmm. because I see it happening, it would be logically necessary that you're doing it. Yeah. Right. I see you doing it. Therefore, you must be sitting. Mm -hmm. But I convey no necessity. Yes. Right. You're sitting not because I'm watching, but I'm watching because you're sitting. Correct. And so this is where Boethius lands with predestination. God confers no necessity on our will. But because he sees it in the eternity of time, right? he sees what we are doing for all of our lives, but he doesn't convey necessity upon it, right? We still choose freely, but we, he sees every choice there. And so that is where we get freedom despite his knowledge of everything, is the difference in eternal time and perpetual time, and that he sees all we do, so logically we have to be doing it, but he doesn't necessarily force us to do those things. Does that make sense? All right. <laughs> Does that make sense? Um, I mean, Yes. Did I explain it well? Like, are we there? You are you guys yes. there? Did yes. I, did I miss it entirely? Yeah, you explained Boethius, yes. Okay, so that's Boethius. What do you guys think? Because this is kind of, of, of his whole conception of predestination, this kind of, uh, was, that was a dismissive shake of the head you just gave. Sure, okay. Um, I, th I think it is a fine way to think about God's relation to time. I, I think it's problematic in thinking of God just as like, he watches everything and sees everything happen and humans do whatever they want. Like, there is more, if you read, um, Aristotle and the ethics, um, you will see that the, so um, Aristotle, who is not a Christian, logicked his way into, yeah, there probably has to be a God, the, the prime mover, the first mover. And so Aristotle's, Aristotle's God that he comes to in book 10 of the ethics is a God who is apart from creation. So he sets things in motion, he kind of sets all these laws, and then things kind of roll from there. And that, it's just kind of the place Boethius gets to. Um, uh, Consolation is for sure a... Um, Boethius clearly believes in God and is a Christian, but like it's not an explicitly Christian work that he's going into. So like, yeah, there's no discussion about what is happening in the person of Christ when right. God is entering into, into time right. and under fate. Yeah, 
So then um, I just think you get into problems of like how people are saved. Like that. So in saying that people have people, uh, choice is not an illusion. I do in fact choose to raise my right hand right now. Like that is a thing that did actually happen. I just, and for the listeners, he did indeed I did, raise, he did raise my right hand. Um, I, I just think you get into problematic territories when you say, okay, well, Boethius logics his way into this. Therefore, salvation also works this way, which I think is the more contentious category of. Um, Wait, I don't understand. What do you mean? When, 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 when people say free will audience, what, what do you think of when you hear free will? Free will versus predestination. Like, is that what, or is that just me? Maybe just me. I, I think of free will as a category of how people are saved. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's uh, I choose salvation. Therefore, I am saved. Um, as opposed to God's preordaining whether someone is saved or not. But it's both. So, right, and that's fine, but Boethius is clearly only presenting one side of that argument. Is that fair? Is that? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And that's kind of where I land, too. Like, even if, even if that is the nature of predestination, that God sees all but conveys no, no, no necessity, at some point, there was providence. Right. And he chose a plan. Right. And at, at another point, he created. So there is divine agency there he's not just watching it all happen yeah, that he created a certain world that would have certain outcomes outcomes that he knew and so he it is still his choice yep. right overall i just think you get into deism very quickly of like god is just apart from his creation as opposed to actively involved i think that's yeah i think that's the danger is it takes away a little bit of the sovereignty of god yeah and and maybe perhaps a little bit of the divine agency but I, what i do like about it is that i think that way of thinking about infinite eternal life is a more healthful way of thinking about it. Sure. And, and it, it does change the way that we talk about this problem, right? Predestination is how we experience destination, not how he does. Does that make sense? There is no pre with God. It's an all ah. with God, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Foreknowledge assumes a before and after. For him, it is just present. present. It is knowledge. He knows these things. And so, yeah, they're words we use, but it's describing how we experience it, not how God does. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important distinction when we're discussing this. And this is probably what is behind the, what Christ says in, I think it's gospel of Matthew where he says like, um, uh, the son does not know the will of the father, will of the father, only the, only the father knows uh, all things. That's probably what he's getting at because Jesus is in time at that point. I don't know. I'd have to, I have to go relook that and, think that through but that's an interesting interesting thought um do you think that um so really quick this yeah. party ends at 40 right yeah, yeah. well i was that was moving to wrap it up 45 yeah, five minutes, five 45 okay we we are at 545 yeah, yeah, now so we got to do our little outro they were uh, let out a little bit early but the last so the last late. question do you think is this a satisfying work to you like if you for whatever reason Magby, were thrown in jail oh. hannenberg if you were uh unjustly put into prison is, is this something that you would take comfort from? Does philosophy console you? The, I think there are some things here that do. The knowledge that bad men are not succeeding at life. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's a good notion. And that everything is under God's sovereign control is good. And that fortune goes where it will. And so mm-hmm. you just sort of have to deal with the throes of fortune. I think all of those things would be incredibly comforting. But I would still want to do like a thousand push-ups to get out my frustrations. Sure. You know what I mean? Like there's still... There's still some feelings there that I mm-hmm. got to deal with, right? It not they don't always come under the dominion of the mind. I can't be like, yes, yeah. my philosophy will solve all right. of these complicated mm-hmm. feelings that I'm having, right? I'd, I'd still need to throw some food at the wall and do some push-ups, and then after getting my frustrations out, I could have a good think and have a good cry, and then I'd probably be in a good place. What about you, maybe? Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think books. I, I would find books one through four most comforting 
and then book f- <laughs> book five would throw you into like an existential crisis again guess, and so no, you're both five, in jail book, and thinking about book predestination five is, book five is fine it, and there's also this progression of like by book five Boethius no longer is mentioning that things are really bad for him yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's almost like he's no longer in prison which is like a metaphor man like his mind's not in the prison so um, <laughs> you don't own my mind man yeah um, so book five is fine um, I, but all I'm getting at is like if I have the choice between like the Psalms and the Constellation of Philosophy, sure. I'd rather have the Psalms. That's all I'm trying to mm-hmm. say. And, but I think it, I think so. You're saying the Bible is better than this book from yeah. <laughs> medieval <laughs> Rome, yeah. classical stuff. Hot hot controversial, yeah. but but yeah, whatever. Um, maybe it was between Habakkuk and this book, I would have a harder time. But you know, what, like anyway. Um, um, but yeah, it's a great book. Um, his point that like he comes to all these things through reason and that there is a consolation through that reason, I find very helpful because he didn't have a Bible with him mm-hmm. because he was in prison. That Yeah. And I find the phrase or the fact that one never, you never really get away with anything yeah. to be very troubling <laughs> and also very comforting. I find that to be a very comforting thought. Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know with AJ Thomas and Graham. Uh, thank you for listening. You can find us at classicalstuff.net if you have questions or concerns or you have solved the uh, dilemma between free will and predestination. Please yeah. email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. We are always intending to respond to emails. Um, <laughs> I think we've responded. We've responded to lots of them. Yeah. Um, By w- Graham responded to lots of them. Thank you, Graham. Please tweet at us at classicalstuff <laughs> at Twitter stop, dot stop, stop. Of, <laughs> you old, okay, great. Um, and I will tweet back at you um, or at least like things that you say that I agree with um, <laughs> great and um, besides that uh, Catherine we got stuff about Catherine uh, oh, that's yeah. right yeah. 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 turns out she doesn't have ancestors wow at all yeah. wow she it was just all appeared one day from nowhere she wow that's popped out of the insane. ground so it was there was a lot of confusion there i think yeah, on our sorry. side so yeah. sorry Catherine. glad we cleared that one mm-hmm. up yeah you are not a descendant from william the conqueror you're not a descendant from anybody you yeah. just appeared were yeah cool all right well this is <laughs> classical stuff you should know and we are signing off bye bye, so bye. bye. thank you I'm glad I didn't stop the tape early oh, on that one. Got some so applause good. in there. It's so good. <laughs>